Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hello. It's good to be here. I am, my name is Julia. I'm sure most of you know that. If you don't, it's really good to have you with us this morning. Um, Mike and I lead Balaam, which is amazing. It's a great, great privilege of our lives of this season. Um, and yeah, it's good to be here. I never know where I'm going to start <laughs> when I get to this point. I'm like, what is going to come out of my mouth this morning? Um, but if you're joining us online, it's so good to have you as well. Um, it's a great, amazing thing of post-pandemic reality that we get to stream things far away. Um, and so I have faithful family members who watch from South Africa every week. So, you know, things like that go a long way these days, which is amazing. Um, I'm going to pray again because I love to pray and I need the Lord to help me this morning. Sweet Jesus, we just welcome your presence, God. You are the king who has come. And this changes everything. Holy Spirit, you come to glorify and reveal the Son to us. The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus. And we need to see Jesus this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open up the eyes of our hearts again, that we would see the King rightly. Jesus, we need to see you rightly this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the ancient story of God that we still find ourselves in today. Help me, Holy Spirit. Amen. I feel relatively relieved this morning because Michael preached last week and Karen's preaching next week. And so I feel like I'm in this theological sandwich and I'm sort of a ham in the middle and I can be whatever I need to be and they will back me up either way, which is amazing. I'm different style, but we, we're here for it. It's body of Christ. Everyone looks different. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> but we are in a series which Mike kicked us off last week with. It's called Kingdom Come, and we're looking at what it looks like to see heaven come in London, um, this idea of God breaking in here and now. And um, he sort of overviewed this ancient story of God. He looked at the four acts. Um, if you look right from the beginning of Genesis right to the end of Revelation, there's this incredible story of God, and there's this golden thread that maps its way through the whole thing. Um, the fall, I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically, if you were not here last week, go back and listen to it, because what I'm about to say will probably make a lot more sense. But it was amazing. And Mike just said this question. He posed this question to the room. I think it was towards the end. And as he said it, I just tears just hit my face. And um, he just said, do you know the story? Do you know the story of God? And do you love it? Do you know the story of God? And do you love it? This is our story too. If you're in Christ Jesus, this is your story. Do you know it? And do you love it? And this morning I want to say to you, do you know the king, the center of the story? And do you love him? 
Do you know the king? Do you know his kingdom? Do you love him? Have you seen it? Have you felt it? So, I'm talking about the kingdom that Jesus preached. And I'm going to read from Matthew 4, verse 17 to 25. And then I'm going to go from there and we'll see what happens. Okay, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout the land. They brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And so that is our main passage that we're going to be looking at today. Um, but I'm going to be shooting around through Matthew as well. But yeah, let's just begin there. So basically what I want to look at today is what was this good news? We talk about it all the time. He came to preach the gospel. He came to preach the good news. He came to preach the gospel. But again, what Michael said last week is we've become so overly familiar with things we actually know really little about. I've been in church for a very, very, very long time, my entire life. Had a deep encounter with the Lord when I was nine. I have been walking with him in the power of the Holy Spirit since I was 11. I've been in this game. And when Michael asked me to talk on this, I sat down and was like, sure, that'll be straightforward. The kingdom Jesus preached. Surely I know this. And I realized that I was not so sure. And that was striking because I've been here for a long time. You know what I'm saying? But we become way too familiar with things we know very little about. We talk about the king, we talk about the kingdom, we talk about the gospel, but what does it actually mean? Is it just a mechanism for salvation? I've come to see that it really is not. It is so much more than that. But something needs to go from here to here if we're going to truly get this, if we're truly going to be a kingdom people who are totally captivated by a king. And so what is this good news? You see, Jesus was speaking. He arrived on the scene, as Mike explained. They'd been waiting for hundreds and thousands of years. This Messiah, this Savior, this anointed one who would be sent from God would come. 
He, was a, he came as a Jewish man to a Jewish people. It was very specific, moment in time to a specific group of people. And I think, again, we often lose stuff being quite far removed here in London today, 2,000 years on. But he came at a very specific moment in time to a specific group of people, to a people who had been waiting for him faithfully for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so at the time, it was currently... Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, Israel was under Roman occupation and the Roman Empire was sort of ruling large across the earth. Um, and this word gospel, which we translate as good news, was actually used in sort of everyday empire language. Um, and so people were very, very familiar with it. Every time an empire ascended to the throne, would they be on the throne? Yeah, the, the emperor, sorry, there we go, <laughs> ascended to his throne. Um, there would be a gospel would go out. The good news would go out. And sometimes they would actually put it in, sort of inscribe it in stone along walls and in different places on buildings to say, by the way, there is a new emperor. Or if it, the emperor was having a big birthday, like the Jubilee, they would sort of say, oh, there's good news. There's the gospel. The emperor's birthday, he's turning however old. So it was a very familiar term. It was this victory sort of announcement that would be made throughout the land. And so the people at the time would definitely know when Jesus said, I've come to preach the good news, I've come to preach the gospel, something starts to ring in their ear. Oh, he's invoking a very particular term right now, um, which is really interesting in the context. Also, if they were faithful, scriptural, reading, studying Jews, they also would have instantly recognized this term from Isaiah. Mike touched on it last week again, but in Isaiah 52 verses 7, there's that beautiful passage. I'm actually just going to quickly find it. Um, that uses this exact word again. And it's this prophecy of the Messiah coming. And it says, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, or who brings the gospel, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. So this was part of this ancient prophecy they've been sitting on for years and years, hundreds of years since Isaiah had said it. There will be one who comes from God, who will carry this message, who will carry good news, who will carry the gospel. And he will come to announce something very specific. And so again, when Jesus shows up on the scene, first century Palestine, in this tiny, tiny little town on the side of the sea, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. I've come to preach the good news. I've come to preach the gospel. It was not shot into the dark. It was not this random word that just landed on deaf ears. If you were hearing that and you knew what had been said all those hundreds of years before, if you were paying attention to the signs of the times, you knew that Jesus was evoking something very, very specific. He is making this life-changing announcement. He is essentially saying, I am the one you have been waiting for. The King is here. I am Messiah, King of the universe. I'm here to redeem. I'm here to save. I'm here to deliver. And I'm here to heal. 
You see, Jesus came to fulfill these ancient prophecies that God would send his anointed one, his own, to begin to redeem what was so broken and actually begin to return us to the intended way, to begin to restore that initial Genesis mandate on the earth. You see, if, if he was the Messiah, if this announcement were true, if he actually was the appointed one sent from God, that would have changed everything for those people. Absolutely everything. Again, I think we often disconnect from this. I remember years ago, I, um, I just felt to read through the Gospel of Mark. And I was reading and suddenly I started realizing the word immediately was used, I mean, every few lines in Mark's Gospel. Immediately, 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 they followed him. Immediately, they were at the other side. Immediately, he was healed. Immediately. And I was like, why does this man have such a thing about this word immediately? Um, and again, it's, he uses it 41 times by the way, across the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest gospel. It's a lot of times to use a word. Um, and we know that in Scripture, words mean, it's all words, but they mean a lot. When they said a number of times, we have to start paying attention. Um, and you see, I think what was happening is that the people who got it understood the urgency of what was happening. And so there was a natural, immediate response to Jesus and in my sort of 20-year-old self, as I'm reading this immediately, I'm like, but how did they just know to do, well, what in Jesus' ask encouraged them to just drop the nets and go? And I was deeply sort of confronted by, by my lack of urgency, if I'm honest, in responding to him as Lord. But as I've been sitting with this this week, I just, again, I think I've, I've tried to put myself in that first century Palestinian mindset and go for my whole life, I would have been taught about the prophecies. My whole life, I would have been taught that the whole purpose of my life is to wait and contend for the Messiah to come. And then if a man truly actually walked in and I happened to be standing there and he walked past and said, I am him, repent, turn from what you're doing, follow me, drop everything and come, what would I have done? You see, when we see who he truly is, every other thing pales. It's natural. I think sometimes we can feel like we have to force it to pale, if you know what I mean. We have to force ourselves to get his majesty or to get his beauty. Friends, I'm telling you right now, when you see the Christ, when you see Jesus for who he truly is, naturally, every other thing loses its flavor. Thank you, Yvonne. Amen. I, I gave a talk on Thursday to the, there's this amazing Vineyard Leadership College. If you are interested in leadership and theology, they, Vineyard have put on this amazing college, and I went to give this talk on inner healing. And I'd given a part one of this talk in October, and I didn't know if they would remember me. You never quite know, you know, so I'm trying to reintroduce myself. And somebody says, oh, no, no, we remember your passion. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> you never quite know how the passion's going to land, <laughs> you know. And they were like, no, we love the passion. We love the passion. I said, thank you. I'm so relieved. Um, <laughs> 
So one thing you always get with me is a little bit of passion. Um, and you know what? We need it. Why not? We're called to burn. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't all have to look like me. But he is either alive and the king of the world or he is not. You know what I'm saying? There comes a point, friends. I'm so, there comes a point. <laughs> oh, let's carry on. <laughs> so. Thank you. So as Jesus is making this announcement, as he is showing up as Messiah, announcing that the kingdom of God is actually here, what he is saying is that the thing you have been waiting for, the intended way, is going to come in. You see, where the king goes, so the kingdom follows. You understand this, living in this land. We didn't get it before. As, as South Africans, it's a foreign concept living in a kingdom, honestly. But you take it for granted. You live in a kingdom. And where the king rules and reigns, so his kingdom goes. It is his dominion. You live within the boundaries of his rule. And so what Jesus was saying is there is one true king, king of the universe. He is Yahweh, who we sang about him this morning. And when his kingdom comes, his way, his rule, his reign, his nature, his character is outworked on the earth. Creator God is at last putting things in their rightful place. The God who made the world and has longed to rescue his people and redeem it from its trouble is actually going to do it. He's going to do it. And again, I said this earlier, but this hit me this week. This is not just a mechanism by which we are saved. I think we've so now come to associate the gospel just with salvation. Gospel equals salvation. Yes, it is a part of it, but it's not just a mechanism. It is so much more. It is the reality of Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified and rose again, actually coming to be Lord of our lives. It means that every other idol, everything that raises itself against the knowledge of God, everything that attempts to enthrone itself on the hearts of our lives has to go because there can only be one. Again, this was intense when he showed up and started saying this because it's either him or it's not. But if it is, everything loses its flavor. Everything else pales. And he, he stands as true Lord over our lives. It's not just a message. It wasn't just a phrase. It was a whole new reality. I am here to bring the way of God on the earth. So repent. That word repentance, again, are we too familiar with this thing? But we know little about it. It, You know, repentance is my lifeline, if I'm honest with you. Ask my husband. I repent about seven times a day <laughs> and probably more sometimes. But I discovered a long time ago that repentance and forgiveness are the keys to the kingdom. They are the keys to freedom. 
They're not punishment. It's an invitation. The Word says that it is my kindness that leads you to repentance. And at the door of repentance is the way to freedom. When we recognize where we have been outside of His order for our lives, where we have been outside of His intention, and we see it in mercy, we get to come and go, Lord God, I got it wrong. And we have permission in Jesus to repent, which it means to physically turn from the, what we were doing and turn toward him. So he's saying here in Matthew, repent, turn. If I am who, I, who I'm saying I am, if you believe it to be true, it is worth turning totally away from the thing that has your attention because this kingdom that has been promised that is the intended way is right here it is at hand as Mike said it's as far as my hand is from my body so number one the key to this message this gospel this good news was a call to repentance friends you might have been a believer for a long time but again, I want to ask you this morning, are there things that are in your life that you need to turn from and turn back toward the one who is worthy of your full attention? Are there some voices that have grown too loud in your life? Second, we see immediately, I and mean, he he's making the statement, and then Matthew goes into this call of his first disciples. This is Matthew's biography of Jesus. If you watch The Chosen, it's a fabulous, unbelievable show. I just weep every episode. I just have this rich encounter with the Lord. Honestly, if, uh, please watch it. Um, <laughs> but they portray Matthew just as this amazing, very meticulous, very detailed man. And you can see it in, in his writing. Um, but this really was his biography of Jesus, and, and his central theme is the king has come and the kingdom is here. Um, and so he, yeah, he moves from the kingdom of heaven has come near immediately to this call of the first disciples. And I wanted to include this in what we read this morning because of this urgency thing, this immediately thing that I was mentioning. Something in the way that Jesus asks them to follow him stirs an urgency in these men to drop everything that they have given their lives to and generationally given their lives to. The sons of Zebedee are with their father. He would have been a fisherman. They were fishermen. His, their grandfather was probably a fisherman. They stayed within the trade often of their families. This ancient thing that they are very familiar with their livelihoods, something in Jesus's ask stirred such a an urgency to be able to immediately in that moment drop what they were doing, leave their lives behind and follow this man who was claiming to be the king of the world. Have we connected with the urgency of following Jesus? Friends, we have one life to live. One life on this world, we happen to be born at such a time, living in such a moment. We cannot control when we arrive on planet Earth. But here we are, post-pandemic London. Times are dark, let's be honest. Things are not straightforward right now. 
And they don't seem to be getting easier. And I don't mean that to stir fear. I'm so full of hope. But we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. There's not, you see, again, I, they didn't know how long it would take for his ministry to be outworked. They didn't know what it was going to look like. He didn't say, oh, here's my 10-point plan, and if you sign in the dotted line, these are your benefits, and this is the policy, and da-da-da-da-da. It was like, you either follow me as true Lord right now or not. But again, because of the context of the waiting, it was worth it. If he was who he said he was, I'm going to drop it all. Because whatever lies on the other side of this yes is so much greater than anything I could ever experience on my own. And that is still true today. Is he Lord of your life? Have you felt the urgency of following Jesus? It's here and now, friends. It's here and now. What did this kingdom actually look like? Matthew then goes on again quite quickly onto the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it seems to be categorized by claiming, proclaiming good news, what we've just spoken about, and then demonstrating what this good news actually looked like. Jesus paired everything he said with unbelievably magnificent holy action. He did it. He brought God's way. The sick were healed. The paralyzed walked. Those possessed by demons were released from desperate captivity. Every person who came to him who was afflicted was made well. Do we know this king and do we know his kingdom? Have you seen this thing actually happen? Do you believe it could still happen today? We talk about it a lot in the vineyard. We have this high expectation for God to move, for his kingdom to come, for healing to happen. But honestly, like, where are you at with that? Do you still believe he's at work here and now today? It's challenging. Don't be afraid of the question. Don't be afraid of the wrestle. We must face the stuff. And it's okay to be unsure, but at least be asking, be honest. You see, the kingdom that he taught and he did looked totally different to anything that they knew or we know of today. It looked like the last are first. To gain means you've got to die. The poor are blessed. The mourners are comforted. The enemies are loved. 
Purity of heart is prized over anything. Our treasure lies in heaven, not in what we earn on the earth. Faith over works. The inside, the state of the heart matters over the outside. The broken are made well. The sick are healed. The blind see. Captives are released. The humble and the lowly are exalted. The persecuted receive the kingdom. We're called to rejoice in persecution. The unclean are made clean. The dead are raised. The demon-possessed are set free, the paralyzed walk, the thousands are fed with very little, the weather responds to a spoken word. This is what it looked like when he started to actually bring God's order on the earth. Physical things changed. He teaches, he demonstrates, and you see this again, Matthew 4, the beginning of his ministry it goes immediately after this section into the Beatitudes. There's a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gathers the people and he gives this mega sermon for the first time. And he basically just flips everything on its head. People are, again, go watch it in The Chosen. It's just such a beautiful visual representation of what is actually going on. It was radical. We become too familiar. <laughs> with things we know very little about. This was life-changing stuff. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Let them hit you again. Where did that come from? It's wild. So he teaches and he teaches and he teaches. And then as you go, that's Matthew 5, 6, 7. Matthew 8, suddenly he begins to do. He starts to do everything that he's been talking about. 8, 9, 10, he demonstrates, he heals, he raises the dead, he sets the captives free. Just go and read it. It's incredible. And then we suddenly get to Matthew 10, and he sends out the disciples, and he says, do what I have done and say what I have said. Matthew is giving us this quite quick overview of the incredible power of Jesus' ministry as he proclaimed and demonstrated the kingdom of God on the earth. I'm beginning to wrap this up. Is this making sense? Fab. Fabulous. In Matthew 7, as Jesus is beginning to close the proclamation, the teaching bit of this big sort of moment and then begin to move into all this demonstration, the doing. He says this one thing, which I really felt we needed to look at today. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. And um, this passage has shaken me to my core for many, many years. Because I think what can happen is sometimes we can become very uh, caught up obsessed, maybe even, with the fruit of the kingdom, with the produce of what it looks like, and miss the king standing right at the center of it. And so, yes, when Jesus sends out the 12 and they go out in power and they do all these incredible things, then right at the end of the Gospels, he 
he has this great commissioning moment where he gathers his disciples and he says, now you go, do what I did with you. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and releasing them in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the same thing, to bring the kingdom of God. We are counted in that great commission. That is what we carry here and now today. But friends, let us not get lost in the doing and miss him. These things have to go together. How harrowing it would be to get to that moment where I stand before him face to face and say, but I did all these things. But I didn't necessarily know him. And so if there's one thing I want you to hear from me today, yes, the kingdom looks like proclamation and demonstration, but we must know him at the center of it all. Do you know this king, Jesus? And do you know his kingdom? Have you seen it breaking out, touching your life? Have you actually seen the transforming power of his will breaking in, invading and changing your life? Lastly, Jesus' ministry was authenticated and verified by authority. It says later, just after that passage I just wrote in Matthew 7, that the crowds were astounded because everything he did, he did with such authority. When the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus begins to move in our lives, he moves with authority. He is the king. He's the anointed one, high and lifted up. He is ruling and reigning in glory. And he blesses us as the people of God with that same authority to go out and carry this thing into the world. Jesus is alive, friends. And I had a sense today that, that it's time to see the king in all of his beauty. To truly see him. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal him in his glory. We need to see him rightly. And when we do, everything else begins to pale. Truly, it's not something we have to force to happen. When we really see him, it naturally follows that other things lose their flavor. And from that place, there is a natural urgency, an immediacy to make a decision. Are we following him truly? Is he truly the Lord of our lives? Or is, are there other things competing for the throne? Where are you in that? Where are you in that? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. And if you need to repent, it's as simple as saying, Lord, I got this one wrong. I'm sorry. I'm choosing your way for my life. I've got one life to live. Will it be this glorious, magnificent fulfillment of what so many never knew? They waited in darkness. But friends, we live on the other side of those who have seen a great light. We live on the other side. I don't know why, but I felt like I needed to tell you about this dream I had about three years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, maybe I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, it was just after we'd all gone into the first very heavy lockdown. Um, 
and Mark and I had been due to be married in the April of that year. And two weeks before um, our wedding was scheduled, we went into the first lockdown. So we were the first people who didn't have a wedding and didn't know what was going to happen and thought it would maybe last for three weeks and ended up being seven months and it was a very confusing time. And um, I, in the April of 2020, I had this dream. And in the dream, I would, and by the way, in my like natural, normal life, I was in an absolute state. I was like, what is my life? We were meant to be moving to England. We had, Mike had resigned. I'd, I had a clothing business. I'd closed it. We were stuck on my parents' farm in a different province to where we'd been living. Everything was so confusing. We didn't know what was happening. I was in an absolute state. Every time I tried to do anything, though, about it, the Lord said to me, sit down. And don't do anything. And that happened for six weeks. Just sit. And so it's in this season that I have this dream. In the dream, I'm walking through a very tropical, like, sub-equator garden at night. Um, and it's really balmy. It's sticky. It's really tropical. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's green. And the moon is so bright. So I can see what I'm dealing with. And as I'm walking through this garden, I see this huge patch um, of these massive bulbs that were covered over and tightly wound. Massive. And as I'm walking past, I sense something say to me, and in hindsight, I believe it was the Spirit of God, touch each one. Um, and as I touch each bulb, they bloom. And they are moonflowers. And they open up into, if you've ever seen a moonflower, it sort of looks like a trumpet. It's long, it's white, and they do stay shut in the day and they open at night. Um, and I'm touching all these bulbs and these moonflowers are, are opening up. Anyway, that, that was the dream. And I wake up, I don't remember it. A few hours later, I'm in a moment of worshiping the Lord. And halfway through, I just hear moonflower. <laughs> In my spirit, just loud moonflower, and this dream comes racing back to me. And I just begin to be overcome with what I think God is starting to say to me. And I just grab my phone, and I know what moonflowers are, but I don't know any detail. And I just start Googling moonflowers. What are they? Um, and basically, they are these magnificent tropical blooms that often were planted actually very close to a house because they are shut during the day, and when the moon comes out at night, under the cover of darkness, they open into full bloom, and they release an incredible fragrance. And so people would bring them close to their homes to have this fragrance. By the time morning comes, you step outside, you smell this beautiful smell, and they are in their full morning, beautiful, open glory. And then they shut again during the day. And as I'm reading this just Google thing about moonflowers, the Lord says to me, it is time to bloom in the night. You've been called to bloom in the night. And it was the absolute opposite of what I had thought that I needed to do. To be honest, I wanted to get into a hole and cry and just shrivel up and be a terrible person forever. Um, and he was asking me to bloom sort of like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> I just feel like everything, all my plans have just crashed and burned. And you're asking me to bloom. And when I was preparing for this talk, this dream kept coming back. And I sort of feel like that's the kingdom. 
that as the people of God, we have been called to open up and bloom in the night. You can start. Um, and I felt that there were some people specifically going to be here today who for some reason needed to hear about that dream. That the sun doesn't necessarily have to be shining and sparkly and bright for you to come into what God has intended for you. That when we carry the very presence of the King, we so carry the flourishing of the kingdom, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the darkness of the night, regardless of the waiting or the many delays, regardless of all the closed doors and the frustrations, regardless of every disappointment and everything that hasn't gone your way, regardless of the financial crisis, you get to bloom. You get to become who He has intended you to become. And guess what? When we do in our intended way, we release the fragrance, not of our own lives, but of the King. We release the fragrance of heaven so that passers-by have to turn their heads and go, what was that? I want that. This is the invitation. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Just open up and bloom. You carry Him within you, the light of all lights. I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to respond to the Lord. If you need to repent, repent today. If you need to get some urgent response to Him, find it within yourself. If you need to ask Him what it means to bloom, have the courage to ask. Can we stand to our feet? Jesus, oh, we love you, God. If you're joining us online, I just encourage you to do the same. This this Holy Spirit is not bound by the screen. He's with you. Just receive whatever He has for you today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one who reveals the glory of Jesus. And it's on the revelation of Jesus that the church is built. That's what Peter says. Jesus says to Peter when he asks him, who am I? And he says, you are the Christ. He says, Peter, your name will now be Peter on this rock, on the revelation of who I am. The church will be built. God, we need a revelation of who you are this morning, Jesus. We need to see you rightly as King. So would you open up our eyes, the eyes of our spirits, to behold the one who was to come and now has come. Would you open up our hearts to understand what it means to live on this side of the cross, on this side of you having been raised up, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over every authority, every principality and every power. This is our Jesus. This is our victorious King, the one who is here. So Father, would you lead us today? Do whatever it is you wanna do in our hearts this morning. Would you help us to bloom in the night? Would you help us to be the kingdom carriers here and now? To say what you said and to do what you did. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.